0: This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. morning again. We are launching a brand new series this morning, but I just, before we kick off this series, I just wanted to remind you that the things that we talked about in January as it relates to, you know, prayer and Bible reading and fasting, don't just leave those things in January. Those are things that we can bring throughout the rest of the year. So if you finished a Bible reading plan in January, pick another one, continue on. Uh, with that for the rest of the year, spend some time praying every day, and they don't have to wait again till next January to do some sort of fasting. We can actually live a fasted life. It can be something that we can do on a constant basis. All right, we are launching a brand new series for the month of February, and we're going to be talking about relationships all month long. What we're going to be talking about is people problems. We all have people problems. Now, I was going to uh, have an ironic title for this series. I was going to call it People Paradise, because we know we actually never have uh, a paradise with people. We, we actually have people problems all of the time in the context of all of our relationships. And the reason is because there's two imperfect people on every side of the relationship. Uh, Nicole, my wife, has Brent problems. And I have Nicole problems, even though she's practically perfect in every way, like Mary Poppins and flew into my life from Arizona on an umbrella one day. That we all have problems in the context of all of our relationships, in in marriage and friendship, uh, relationships that we have, um, you know, at work, in every context of life, we are in relationships. And even the most introverted, person among us, we still like to be around people once in a while. And then God actually wants us to have healthy relationships. There's a lot of tremendous um, ideas and thoughts and scripture in the, uh, from the Bible that will actually help us to live out healthy relationships. Now, we are never going to have perfect relationships because, once again, we are imperfect. But we want to have healthy relationships. We want to achieve healthy relationships through all of the ups and downs of our relationships that we can actually have reconciled relationships and and restored relationships um, because of all of these things that God is inviting us to a certain way of life as it relates to relationships. Because if we look at the scripture, really the story of the scripture, the big story arc is about broken relationships at the beginning and then when Jesus comes, Jesus reconciles our relationship to God. So at the heart of the gospel message is this idea of relationships. And so God actually wants to help us um, through some of our people problems. Uh, You know, if you listen to the radio, uh, anytime you might turn on the radio, the majority of the songs are all about relationships with people. Uh, You know, it's, it's a big thing that we might put on our status. If you've ever seen the uh, the movie about the creation of Facebook. One of the things that you see, I'm not at least in the movie. Um, I'm not sure if it was actually true in real life, but Mark Zuckerberg is you know creating Facebook, and then one of his friends uh, gives him the idea of relationship status, and then he runs back to his dorm room and puts on relationship status, and then he um, you know Facebook goes live soon after that. But my most famous, uh, the most one of the most famous relationship statuses or whatever the proper plural of that is, is it's complicated. And that's true of all of our relationships. There is a complexity to our relationships because we have different people from different places and different backgrounds and different ways of thinking. And then we experience many times in life, all of the time in life, we experience people problems. Um, but God wants us to, to help us to, to navigate through those problems. And, and we have a lot of great uh, thoughts as we go through this series. Let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 27 this morning. Proverbs chapter 27. Now, when we, we think about the story of creation, we remember, you know, Adam and Eve and all those different things. But if you go through the story of creation, the progression of creation, that God creates all of these things. And all of them are good and then he gets to the spot where man is alone and that's the only thing that he says is not good. Loneliness is never a solution to our people problems or I'm just going to be alone. I'm going to retreat from society. I'm going to retreat from the world because I've been hurt too many times and so I'm just going to step away from all of that. No, God actually uh, wants to help us in the context of our relationships. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, if we have sharpening going on, that means there is friction. In all healthy relationships, there will be friction. In other words, sparks are going to fly. In the context of all of our relationships, for us to get sharper and sharper, some of the rough edges on me need to be rubbed off, and some of the rough edges on you need to be rubbed off. And where is that going to happen? That's going to happen in the context of close relationships. Iron, sharpening iron. And then when I become more and more sharp in the context of relationship, this is where I become more and more who I need to be. See, but what happens for many people is anytime sparks start flying in any relationship, negative sparks, they opt out. Well, this is too hard, this is too difficult, this relationship's too hard, and there's sparks happening. No, there, there's an expectation that there is going to be friction in relationships, that iron will sharpen iron. So we don't want to be opting out of difficult relationships because, once again, all of our relationships, in some sense, are going to be difficult because there's two imperfect humans on either side of the equation. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. That the context of relationships we see here in these verses is there's a mutual uh, beneficial attitude or experience in the context of relationships. I'm going through life and I'm not going through life alone. That sometimes I will be the one to help somebody else up, but then also other times I'm going to be the one who needs to be helped up. This is what relationships are all about. That two is better than one. That when we we can bring uh, double the brain power, we can bring double the experience to every situation when we are in the context of relationship. Also, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, that third strand uh, discussed here in this verse, the idea is that uh, we're going to be in relationships, whether it's a marriage relationship or a friendship or a, a business relationship, that the third party invited into the relationship is God. In other words, we're inviting God's ways into our relationship, and that is the threefold chord. It's me and this person, but it's me and this person and God, God's way of doing relationships. And that's a strong relationship. That's a strong marriage. That's a strong friendship. That's a strong parenting relationship when we invite God into the middle of our relationships. We don't just try to do relationships on our own. We don't try to figure out a new way. I'm going to discover some new way. I'm going to ignore ancient wisdom. And we're just going to do relationships. How we discover in 2019. No if we do that. We're going to miss out on all of the experience. Of humanity that's gone before us. And then the experience. That we see here in the scripture. The wisdom of God. In the middle of our relationships. Will help our relationships be strong. I'm going to read you a story here from the Old Testament, and in this story helps us to discover the source of all of our people problems, and what it's like, and, and how, uh, how we would experience it, and what someone else might do, and then my response to that thing, and we're going to get right into the difficulty of our relationships this morning. Now we're going to talk about, in a very practical sense, you know, marriage uh, ideas and parent, parental ideas and friendship ideas through um, the rest of this series. But today we're going to get right down to the heart of the matter of the difficulty that we have in the context of relationships. Second Kings, chapter five, verse one. One of my favorite Bible stories. And it's a story um, about a man in the Old Testament who's sick. And really, uh, this is a great teaching about healing, but I'm not going to be dealing with the healing portion of this uh, story today. We're going to be talking about relationships. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy so here's this guy he's a he's a brave leader in the military in this one country and you know he's a really great guy doing a lot of great things but he's having this one physical difficulty big physical difficulty he has leprosy verse two now band of raiders from aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from israel and she served naaman's wife so this girl that they had taken captive from israel was in naaman's household and she was one of naaman's wife's helpers verse three she said to her mistress i if only my master would see the prophet who is in samaria he would cure him of his leprosy so this young girl's got some advice for naaman hey if you just go to samaria there's a guy there a prophet who was able to cure your leprosy verse four naaman went to his master and told him that what the girl from israel had said And the king responds, by all means go. The king of Aaron replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. So man, so this situation escalated really fast. A little bit of advice from a young girl. Hey, there's a prophet in Israel. Heal you of your leprosy. Naaman goes to the king and says, hey, I want to go. And he's like, go. And then he takes all of this money. He takes all of these gifts. I mean, this is like... An agreement between two nations are happening because Naaman has leprosy. And this young girl speaks up and says, there's a prophet that can help you. Verse 6, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read. So this is the content of the letter. With this letter, I am sending my servant, servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. So the king of Israel didn't believe this was a legitimate letter. They just thought it was a trap, a reason for their two nations to be fighting together. Verse 8, when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. So here we have, you know, Naaman, this this two agreement, the agreement between these two nations that Naaman is showing up with his chariots and his horses. In other words, he's showing up with his black limos. Just the other day, the prime minister was at my daughter's school there in Milton and I happened to pass by the school right at the same time the prime minister was arriving and there was about seven or eight black SUVs and this is what it's like in this story. Then eight, Naaman is showing up and there's flags on the front of the SUVs and you know there's, there's big security going on and he's showing up. Why? Because there's this agreement between these two kings so that Naaman can get healed. Verse 8. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel, oh, sorry, wrong verse. 10, verse 10. Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. It's like, wait a minute, Elijah. No, 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 no. I'm showing up with my chariots and my horses. There's a letter between our two kings. This is like a whole thing between our two countries. You don't send out a messenger with an idea for me to go dip in the Jordan. This is not how this works. You're missing some protocol here, Elisha. does the story? Continue. But Naaman went away angry. And he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. He wanted Elisha to go full televangelist on the situation. He didn't want to show up with his chariots and horses and be like, Hey, I don't want to talk to a messenger. I need to talk to the prophet, okay? This is how I imagined it would be. You would come out and there would be this big production, but instead... I got the messenger. What is he? He's angry. Verse 12. Are not Abana and Farapah, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? So now he's like, I don't even like the river Jordan. The rivers in my country are better than the rivers in your country. Why would I dip in the Jordan? He's making all of these arguments because he's angry. It didn't work out exactly the way he thought it would. So he turned and went off in a rage. Now the story continues that Naaman's servant comes to him and then finally Naaman Naaman acquiesces and goes and dips in the Jordan and he gets healed. But this portion of scripture right here gives us great insight into the problems that we have with people. And it sounds like this. In verse 12, I... Thought that he would come out and he would surely do this. See, I thought somebody would treat me like this. See, I I, I would think that this relationship that I'm having with this person, friendship, marriage, whatever the case may be, I have a very specific way for this person to act and how they're going to respond and and the things that they're going to do and what they're going to say and how they're not going to say it. And I thought that they would do this. And then what happened? They didn't do it. There's anomalies in their behavior. It's outside of the realm that I thought that they would do this. I thought surely that any, any reasonable person would act like this. Any wise person surely would respond like this. Any wife would act like this. Any husband surely would act like this. And I have this very specific framework for which people to operate in the context of a relationship with me. And not that these expectations are unreasonable. We should have a certain expectation for how people are acting in the context of relationships with us. But I would say the majority of the time, they're not going to act exactly how you think they should. Is anybody out there? Is that true or not true? Do your kids act exactly how you think that they should act? You give them a toy. And surely they're going to share it with their sister. Why? Because all reasonable children surely would know that sharing is the proper way to act. And then what happens? Anomalies. There's anomalies everywhere with the activity of our children. And then what happened to Naaman? I thought that it would be like this, and it wasn't like this. And then he left in a rage. There's a measure of anger that happens when people act outside of the way that, they, that we think that they should act. So how, how are we going to deal with this? How are we, listen, I'm being very specific with what I'm saying. How am I going to deal with this? Not, not how am I going to change them. That's not what I'm talking about. How am I going to deal with the anomalies in people's behavior? They should act like this and talk like this and do this. I thought that they would do this. and They didn't do it and then what, what is the result? Kind of makes me mad. And then we got people problems. And this is the way all of our relationships go. I, I thought that they would do this and then they didn't actually do that. And then then what what does it sound like? What what does it feel like as it relates to I thought? I thought, here's the simplest of things. I thought they would be nice. And then they weren't nice. Just the lowest level thing. I I thought, surely, they would be nice. I I just want to... tell you something if you know if you're here for any length of time you know part of our church family and you know from time to time we do like activities and events and sometimes with our city team we go places where there's competition involved if you are ever in competition with me i just want you to know up front i have no desire to be nice in the middle of that game so if you want to get your offense out get it out now i thought pastors should not act like that I'm not there to have fun I'm there to win that game Now you can pray for me If you think I've got issues there But that's why you're playing a game For first place That's the only reason to play a game I thought he would be nice No I'm there to win the game So get it all out now If you want to be offended But this is the lowest thing I I thought they would be nice And then they weren't nice. Here we are, and then we we have these expectations for how people should act. This is a framework of how they should act. They step outside of it. And nowhere is this truer than the context of the local church. Why is that true? Because we we have expectations based on the scripture, how we should act. We know how the other person is told to act, right? Don't we know? We read the same verses. And so we know that they've not even stepped outside of sort of normal human behavior. They have stepped outside of the scripture people. And I know that they are wrong. Not not what am I going to get them to do. What I'm talking about is what am I going to do. When somebody isn't nice to me. See and this is why sometimes relationships at church. Church are high, dip, more difficult in the real world. Because we have this, this is how Christians should act. L- listen, I am, I am an expert in this, okay? I have been in church my whole life. And see, people in the local church, they act a certain way, somebody's not nice, I'm going to opt out of that relationship. And then people opt out many different ways. Somebody's not nice to them, and they say it like this, you know what? I need to pray for that person, but I need to call my prayer partner so that I can pray for this person. And so you call your prayer partner and you're just like, hey, I just want you to know what they did to me. They were not nice. And I know in the book of Ephesians chapter blah, 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 they are contravening the scripture. Oh yeah, and we need to pray for them. And then I'm calling my second friend. I just want you to know what they did to me, our brother in the Lord. So what are we doing? Our people problem is not just, it's not just enough that it's my problem. It needs to be other people's problem that I have a problem with this person. And I would say that that's called gossip. Masking itself in some sort of pseudo-spirituality. They weren't nice to me. I'm going to take it up a notch. That hurt. Nice is just, they were passive. They didn't actually do something nice. But then now they hurt me. That's a different level than not nice, right? Not nice, like, uh, okay, maybe they're having a bad day. They weren't nice to me today. But now they've done something, and the thing that they did, they hurt me. I thought, surely they would not hurt me. What, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? How am I going to function in the world where I have constant people problems? Because here's what I would say. I'm just talking about the context of the local church. If you have never been hurt at church, you haven't been in church very long. Why do people get hurt at church? Because there's people there. That's why people get hurt at church. And, and they, people, listen, people get hurt everywhere all of the time, but it's, it takes on a different thing, I'm telling you, in the context of the local church. It takes on a different deal. Because surely they wouldn't act like that, whether on purpose or by mistake, and, and then I got hurt. And maybe maybe there's some sort of intention there. Not, not just a mistake, but maybe there was some sort of intention there. Be nice, low level, that hurt, we're taking it up a notch. Man, that was really mean. What that person did to me, what they said—that th- w- that was really, really hurtful. That thing that they said to me. Now, all of these things that I'm talking about, these are like emotional situations. See, sometimes physical pain is easier to deal with than these emotional situations. Sometimes you'd be like, "Hey, punch me instead," right? And see, physical pain we can deal with. Physical pain, there's a struggle there and it hurts and we don't like it. But some of the realest pain that we will ever feel has to do with our relationship. Some of the realest pain that we will ever feel is at funerals. Why? Because that relationship is over. And that's painful. It hurts. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is the condition that we deal with as humans. Man, they said that thing and it was really mean. That situation hurt. They weren't nice. What if we take it up another notch? They betrayed me. You ever felt one of those? I want to say that that is probably the, the deepest emotional hurt. They betrayed me. And if, you, I, if you've ever been betrayed, you don't wish it on your worst enemy. You know, and, and I, I've been betrayed. And once again, this is a church. This is, not, this is not some atheist somewhere, okay? Betrayed and then lied about betraying me. And then continue to lie after betraying me. This is, I don't know what, it, this is outside of all of the things. This is outside, surely I thought that they wouldn't do this. But then they did it. Not not how can I change them, because I can't actually change anybody. The question is, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with all of these things? What am I going to do with all this not niceness? What am I going to do with the hurt? What am I going to do with the pain somebody inflicted on me? Whether on purpose or by mistake. And in the worst case scenario, what am I going to do with betrayal? How am I going to handle all of this? Because these are, once again, you know, get a cut or you break a bone, that thing is going to heal. But all of these things, it's like it messes with you. Because I thought, listen, and this is what Naaman's saying, I thought they wouldn't do it. Am I speaking to the right room this morning? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? See, but God has a solution for us in the context of these relationships that we're struggling. And whatever, whatever, wherever we're at on the scale of this difficulty, God has something for us to do. See, what God doesn't want us to do, He doesn't want us to take all of that hurt and turn it into bitterness. Because the scripture says when when we have bitterness, we end up not just defiling ourselves, we defile a bunch of other people. See, and those things that came my way, those things that I didn't want, those things that aren't right. See, what can happen in me, not talking about them, not talking about the perpetrator of the pain. But what can happen in me is I can just be bitter all of the time. And I can retreat from relationships. I mean, it's just too hard. It's too difficult because people step outside of these I thoughts all of the time. And the other thing that can happen to us, and I think these are unintentional things, is that we, a lot of times, we try to weaponize the pain. And what I mean by that is we try to take revenge. Revenge. Because that's our, I would say that that's our natural way to think. If I get hurt, what are we gonna do? I'm gonna strike back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back at them. And so, you know, this hurt happened to me, and then you know, a mild form of that is, well, I know what I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna give them the silent treatment. I'm just not gonna talk to them. And then we take that up a notch, and once again, we call people and tell people, we tell people about our hurt, we tell people about our damage, and we will tell anybody that will listen to us about how much they hurt me, but did any of that heal us? And I'm going to tell you from personal experience. It doesn't actually heal you. You actually get better at telling the story about how wrong they are. If you've ever been betrayed or hurt in a very serious way, you can get very articulate in those moments. And I can explain to you how they were completely wrong, not partially wrong, not wrong, but I mean, they were wrong, wrong, like 100%. And then when you tell the story, you get better at telling the story, and then you tell it again to anybody who will listen, and this whole time, you're not getting any better. There's no healing taking place. There's no reconciliation going on. There's no restoration happening in your heart. I thought that they would do this and then they didn't do it and now I'm I'm just mad. I'm just living mad. All of the time. Weaponizing your pain is not the answer. The scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We're we're not qualified for revenge and also if we could look at human history, revenge doesn't work. Revenge doesn't solve any problems. So what am I going to do? How am I going to deal with this? So here I'm speaking to Christ followers this morning. If you are not a Christ follower, you get a little bit of an out this morning. You don't have to do this. But those of us that say we follow Jesus in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, forgiveness is a command. It's not an option for us. Forgiveness is a must. Why is forgiveness a must? Because there's freedom on the other side of forgiveness. There's freedom on the other side of... There's freedom for you on the other side of forgiveness. Now this you forgiving somebody is not saying what the person did was right. It was actually wrong. It did actually cause you pain. So sometimes people say, you know, I I can't forgive them. Because if I feel like I forgive them, then I'm kind of letting them off the hook. And maybe I'm saying that it was okay. No, it's not okay. That's why you have to forgive. Because unforgiveness keeps you in bondage. And God doesn't want us to live in bondage. He wants us to live free. And on the other side of forgiveness is freedom. So what am I going to do in the context of not niceness and hurt and pain and betrayal? God wants us to forgive, not just wants us, he commands us, commands us to forgive. Now this actually has nothing to do with how you feel, because how you feel is hurt, right? That wasn't nice, and so I'm hurt, I feel hurt. So we're not going to ask our feelings whether or not we should forgive, It is a choice that I'm making to get free. Because listen, listen. Forgiveness is for you. It's not for the other person. See, forgiveness is demanded. Reconciliation is always possible. We're going to talk about some some of those things later on in the series. Reconciliation, though, is going to take two people getting together, having a discussion. But forgiveness... Is all about you. What am I going to choose to do? How am I going to choose to live my life? Am I going to choose holding on to that not niceness at the lowest level? Am I going to choose to hold on to the hurt and the pain? Am I going to choose to hold on to that betrayal? See, being offended is a one time occurrence. Choosing to live offended is that it's a choice. Well, I just offended because they did. You know, offense in our society today is like an Olympic sport. You know, people are offended for themselves; they're offended on behalf of other people. You know, and the most virtuous of all in the society—they're most offended on behalf of everybody. But see, that's a choice. Being offended is an event. Living offended is a choice. God doesn't want us to live in the offense. He wants us to choose forgiveness. Forgiveness is better than living offended. It's more free. It's the free way to live. That's why he commands us to do it. That's why it's not an option for us as Christ followers. Why is it not an option for us as Christ followers? Because at the core of the message, the core idea of our relationship with God is that God forgives us, right? Isn't that as deep in the message that we could ever describe? What's in the middle of Jesus came so we could be forgiven, We need to take this as a big clue how to be successful in our friendships and in our marriages. There's no way for you to be in any long-term relationship without learning to forgive. And once again, it's got nothing to do with your feelings. It's a choice. And someday, sometimes we've got to choose it every day. Because you get up and you feel it. But yesterday, I said I forgive them. And then you get up the next day and then you feel it. What do you need to say when you feel it that next day? I forgive them. I choose to live free of that. I choose to live free of that pain. That God has called me to live free of that offense. Free of that difficulty. Free of that betrayal. Betrayal. Doesn't mean, once again, doesn't mean what they did was right. It was wrong. But what am I choosing now to do? Am I choosing to maintain the pain? Am I choosing to forgive? And like I said, it's a daily practice. I get up and it's there again. It's there. It meets me in the morning and I say, I forgive them. God calls us to forgive. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19 says, A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. A brother offended is more unyielding. I'm not going to give this up. They actually, literally, specifically offended me. And how is the scripture defining that? It's like me in a tall tower. There's walls around me. Nobody can get to me. Why? Because I'm hurt and I'm offended. Now, I'm not talking about other people this morning. I'm talking about you and me. I'm not going to let anybody in now. Because I've been hurt too many times. But, But it's not good to be alone. It's not good to sit up in your tall tower surrounded by walls... Living in the hurt, living in the offense, living in the difficulty. See, the offense was a one-time thing, but now we're making it, making it a daily thing with our choice of unforgiveness. It's a terrible way to live. God doesn't want us to live this way. God wants us to live free. Proverbs 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. To overlook it. To forgive it. It is an offense. Truly, it was wrong. But it's for you to overlook it. It isn't for them. You're not forgiving them for their sake. You're forgiving them for your sake. For your own emotional health. Not holding on to it. It's for you. It's for your glory to overlook it. That's a great phrase. I'm not going to look at it. What am I not going to look at it? I thought that they would do this. And then you rehearse it. And you think about it. And they stepped outside of the thing that you thought that they would do. And then so I think about it. And I think about it. And I think about it. And I rehearse it. And then I say after I'm thinking about it. How could they do that? How could they? But in the middle of that pain, the deeper question is, the bigger question is, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Am I going to let this thing that happened to me, am I going to let it define me? Am I going to let it control my emotions for the rest of my life? Am I going to let it control me for the rest of my life? No, it's for you. To overlook it. To not stare at it. Luke chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says this. So, watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you. Wait a minute, Jesus. If my brother or sister sins against me, watch myself. No, 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 no. Them. Let's watch them. What do you mean watch myself? They're the one that did the wrong thing. Watch myself I want to talk about them, God I don't want to talk about me I'm amazing They're a problem They're the one The one that stepped outside of the I thought Jesus said the right way Watch yourself When somebody sins against you Why? Why? Because when somebody sins against you, you have a choice. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to seek revenge? Are you going to try to get them back? What does your life become when that happens? So watch yourselves. As your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. In other words, go to the person. See, a lot of our relationship stuff would be dissolved if we stopped going to other people to tell them about how much we've been hurt. Anybody that will stand still, I'm going to tell them about my pain. Listen, I get it. We we want to share it because we want to talk about it because it's very real. But what's better than that is just go to the person. Go talk to the person. These are hard conversations to have. But it is the thing... That Jesus, is tell, when, hey, when somebody sins against you, he's like, watch yourself. Go, go talk to them. Go talk to the person, not a bunch of other persons. To try to build your case against them, why they're the most despicable person who has ever lived. If that's true, then you're in the same category. We all have people problems. You are part of the problem for someone else. See, it was fun until now, right? It was always somebody else doing bad stuff. We are the one that steps outside of the I thoughts for someone else too. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, the seven times come back to you saying, I repent. What does Jesus say? You must forgive them. Everybody say must. Not an option if you follow Jesus. And this is, listen, this is not some angry command. This is for life freedom. To live free from your past. Don't hold it. You must. It's, it's a cry you must forgive them. Why? If you don't, you're stuck. And you've now chosen. They chose something that was despicable and terrible. Now you've chosen the same thing to hold yourself there. Jesus says, you must. You must forgive them. Verse 5, the apostle said, Lord we say, increase our faith. This is not easy. This is not for the faint of heart. This way of living. Listen, it's just easier to be mad for the rest of your life and tell your story about how bad they were. That's just an easy way to live. Because you'll, you'll find a lot of people who will be on your side and they'll be on your side against them for the rest of your life. And then what do you have? You have Nothing. Lord increase our faith help us to forgive the ones that you've called us to forgive and then the scripture goes beyond that 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake through him you believe in God who raised from the dead who raised him from the dead and glorified him And so your faith and hope are in God. So here's a big theological statement about our spiritual truth in God, in Christ. And then what does all of that mean for us, Peter? Now that you have purified yourselves. So now that we believe this truth about God purifying us, God forgiving us in Christ... As you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. There's the call. I'm not I'm not just I'm not just listen, I'm not just gonna forgive it and let it go. This is a challenge. I'm actually gonna love them deeply. From the heart. And I will tell you, once again, from personal experience, that does not happen overnight. That's a journey. The story I told you earlier (laughs) in the message, I, I know maybe Pastor shouldn't say this, I plan ways for beating the crap out of that person. (laughs) Just being honest with you. You know what I'm saying? You like, hey, If I run into them at the store, I'm just not sure what's going to happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, I didn't get there overnight. <laughs> but I actually want the best for that person today. And, and here's one of the reasons why I say that. Because if they, if they continue to do to other people what they did to me, it's actually not good for them and it's not good for other people. And so what does that person need? They need someone to love them and pray for them. So I, that I'm not, I'm not planning to beat them up anymore. I know I sincerely... Like I said, I, this wasn't like, hey, yesterday and then the next day. It was a process for me. I actually, once again, I they need what God has for them, right? Here's what I would think and here's what I would think that they should do. And here's how I think that they should repent. And here's, there's none of that. They actually have never said sorry. They've never repented. See, but if, if I'm gonna see, if, but if I take that and then I live my life according to that, what have I done? I've magnified the offense. What does God do for us? What does He do with the worst stuff that we've done? What does He do? He forgives us. This is the key to living free. This is not, it's not just the truth spiritually. It is the truth how to live. The gospel is how to live. Freedom in the gospel that comes from forgiveness. Forgiveness is how to live. Last verse is Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You've received something from God. Christ follower you've received forgiveness from God how are we going to live worthy of that forgiveness that's been given to us be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love be completely humble because what's part of the realization I mentioned a minute ago I am the problem sometimes for other people I am the problem. And if we're going to be humble, all of us sitting in our chairs, we are the problem sometimes. We need forgiveness and mercy. Live worthy of the calling, the forgiveness that's been given to us. God wants us to live free. How are we going to live free? We're going to give forgiveness to others. Let's just pray this morning. God, we're so thankful for your word today. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at the